You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Okay, joining me on the Freedom Pact podcast today, uh, we have board-certified Texas trial lawyer and founder of Fisher Firm, Jefferson Fisher. Jefferson, welcome to the Freedom Pact podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a it's a pleasure to have you, man. And I first got drawn to your to your content um, by a friend of mine, um, and you seem to have been thrust into this, you know, social media sort of sensation out of nowhere. I mean, I, I remember listening to you on Lewis House and you were talking about how, you know, you just started off filming these uh, videos in your car. What was the original plan? Were, were you, was there, you know, was there a thought process behind trying to build a platform or were you literally just trying to add value where you could based off your experiences? It was even more simple than that. <laughs> it was the thought of, hey, I'm a young-ish guy in my, my 30s. I need to get on this social media for my new law firm. Mm. And so I just knew that I needed to, to get on it, but I had not engaged in Instagram as a creator pretty much ever. And so I, I've, a lot of us are really good consumers of it, but, you, you, but when you actually think of being a creator, you think about it in a totally different way. And so my first few videos I put out were just, they were garbage. It was just me trying to like learn how to use the app because reels had just coming out. Mm. And so the original intent was, was just to make a video for my law firm to push information so that people would hire me. And then it just felt super hollow. I just, it immediately felt like that wasn't right. Mm. What well, what didn't feel right about it? It just didn't feel like me. I mean, I, I had paid a friend to make at the time it was very new, this TikTok style of like quick transitions. And I was like, okay, I, this is what I got to do. This is it. And I paid a friend. He had some famous, fancy DSLR camera. And we went and spent a day doing this and less people watch that and liked it than the ones I had just fooled around with in my backyard. Mm. I was like, what am I, what am I doing? It was just this whole thought to me of what's, what's the purpose? What am I, what's my purpose here yeah. in, in this world? Is it to really sell myself or is it to help people for free? Mm. I mean, and if, if they hire me, cool. If they don't, that's all the better. I mean, I, how can I help people? And so that's how I kind of got thinking on what do I like to do more than anybody else that I know of? And I like to talk about communication. It's something I've always been good at. And so that's how it started in my first video. It's interesting because I know a lot of uh, content creators and they sweat the small stuff. I mean, you talk about transitions, they, you know, yeah. they're diving into the retention time. They're saying, you know, they're looking at the dips in retention time. They're on, you know, yeah. they're zooming in, zooming out captions, things designed to grab people's attention. But your videos, like you said there, I was watching some of them before before we jumped on the call, is very raw. I mean, you're just talking yeah. down down the lens and people seem to gravitate towards it. Do you think that there's an element of like 
people notice that it's you know they sort of gravitate towards the authenticity over it rather than you know realizing that someone's trying to capture their attention mm. yeah that's i i think that's exactly right I, a lot of the comments that i get have to do with authenticity or presence or calmness or demeanor that you can really only catch when somebody is genuinely being themselves mm. and i think especially now post covid honestly it's the thought of people don't really like the polished like if you think in covid times everybody was on social media because that was our escape that was our window into the world and what did you see people from home and with people with no makeup hair not done and just this rawness that you go ah I, that i that i resonate with that i know and i think that's the same same thing when i make my video when i first thought i was going to do them man I, I searched for like the right camera the right lighting i was driving myself crazy thinking that i had to have like this perfect studio set up and that's the only way people were going to see any of my videos. And I just got so frustrated that it did not feel like me that I just thought, I'm just going to do it from, I, I mean, that's how it went. I was just going, I think this is nuts. I'm just going to do it in my truck because at the time I didn't have an office. I didn't have an office. I was, I just started my law firm. I was going from coffee shop to coffee shop, borrowing, borrowing other friends' offices. So some of the early videos when I was in office, it was somebody else's office. Uh, they were just letting me bum a back office, a good, a, a, a wonderful friend of mine. And so that's how it first, that's how it first got going. I, I think it's the authenticity of just natural style and I don't script anything. Mm -hmm. So hearing the ums, the uhs, the um, stumble over your word, I mean, it flows, but you got to make sure that it's always genuine to, to you. I think it catches. Oh, for sure, man. I mean, I know a lot of people. I mean, I've I've gone through it myself, and you're focusing on cutting out those arms, those arms, mm -hmm. any silence. You think that's a second of retention time you might be losing someone. So it's really nice and refreshing to hear that the authentic approach works. And I wonder for you what what it feels like when you're reaching people who you you know you originally might not have thought were your target audience. You know, people who. Um, may have never really been interested in the world of persuasion and communication. I, I mentioned I came across uh, your work because a friend sent it to me. It was actually um, my podcast partner, Joe's mother, Helen, who is a <laughs> massive fan of yours. So shout out to Helen. Shout out to Helen. Um, Love you, Helen. Yeah. <laughs> she, she'll really appreciate that. What does it feel like to you when you're reaching these demographics that you probably never thought you would hit when you started out making this content? It, it just makes me feel almost like unworthy of it. It's just, it's just so, so undeserving of it. I just feel immensely humbled and grateful because I get hundreds of messages a day of people saying something kind or asking for advice or saying something how what I said changed their life or helped mend a relationship. And I mean, what, what more could you ask for? I mean, that's, that's more than any amount of money. You know, you can't, you can't buy, buy that kind of feeling. Uh, and it also is also incredibly overwhelming if I think about it, because it becomes very daunting 
because then then somebody like my personality i've always been i loved being a big brother still do i love my siblings i like being the the dad of my friend group right the the always the responsible one that i i've naturally fit into that old soul kind of mentality and it's translated to my social social media where i very much feel responsible like any advice that i give or when people need help so in, in that way it can be overwhelming but first and foremost it's just in, it's just wild i guys can't the amount of opportunities the the people who've reached out and the connections it's made me i mean, just i mean from my car from the seat of my car i mean that just goes to show you don't don't let anybody say your world can't change at any moment I and mean, i just i'm doing it from the seat of my car <laughs> literally it's a beautiful thing yeah. so for just just for people who uh, might be tuning in who yeah may not be familiar with your work we mentioned their communication ultimately what is the skill that you're trying to teach people what, what is the tool that you're trying to arm people with i'd say several things number one is instead of arguing it is the ability to understand that arguments are not meant to be won. They're opportunities into another person's struggle. It's an opportunity to understand the other person. So to welcome an argument, an uh, argument should be welcomed in a sense. Second of all is emotional intelligence. So people will say that some of my communication tips calm them or hit them a different way that feels very comforting i'm not trying to sell them or push them so it's it's trying to teach that, that empathy that compassion that self-awareness in a way that doesn't come across as pushy or are toxic in some way and I, I really just want people to learn how to talk to each other again you know, i i i struggled that with my own grandparents with I man for anybody in our world in the united states We've had our our sense of changes politically. Not that I want to go into it, but it, it's changed even generations and how we communicate with each other. And I, I had a really hard time communicating with my grandfather uh, during during all of that. And it's it's a lot of the tools that I teach are the things that I used to mend and get back that relationship. I, I love them on this sense of communication because. You know, we've been talking about it a little bit earlier, but the uh, social media in a world where everything's becoming digitalized and, you know, every, everything can be sent online. You don't have to speak to someone face to face. You don't have to have brave conversations. It feels like, you know, the ability to, to communicate is becoming more and more of a, a valuable skill because people seem to be losing that art now. Absolutely. I would say that you're ability to communicate is the greatest superpower that you possess. I mean, your ability to communicate affects not only your relationships, but your whole trajectory. I mean, let's, let's say for example, that you were, let's say you weren't very good at communicating. You're just somebody who kind of kept to themselves and you really didn't put yourself out there. Well, m most likely you're going to be stuck in a certain lane in life. Versus somebody you love communicating, you like um, expanding your chest to meet new people, create new things, uh, have that confidence in how you communicate ideas. Your life is, has a lot more flexibility 
for where you want to be taken in life. I, I think it just applies to everything. I, I'll tell you a quick story. I mean, I like with my wife this morning, we exchanged an email and I mean, it was just a matter of, I used, I used a word that was like uh, the word only. You only did X, Y, and Z. She took that as incredibly offensive. I had no clue, <laughs> right? I mean, and this is me teaching communication every day. And so automatically I was like, oh, I see what I did. But she told, we totally mixed signals. So, but that ability to communicate, to catch that is, is, um, controls every bit of your relationships and, and where you want to be in your life professionally and personally. That's extremely interesting because in my previous uh, day job where I worked in, I worked for a university, um, a lot of the, the students that I saw um, were very, very knowledgeable. Uh, they knew what they wanted to talk about. They, they had all the right information, but where I think most of them let themselves down or, or failed to get to their potential was their ability to communicate the information they had and mm -hmm. present it in an effective way. And you could see when they were you know, trying to get things out, you know, maybe in a presentation or on paper, you could see that the knowledge was there, but they didn't possess the, the skill to communicate it effectively. And so, you know, I wonder for you as a lawyer as well, because you must have seen cases where on paper, it looked like a you know a very easy case for somebody to win. They everything was on their side. Everything looked to be in their favor, but the way they communicated it sort of did them a disservice and had an adverse effect. It happens all the time. Yeah, you you see a case that on paper it's it's very black and white, mm. but when they communicate, they communicate in grays, and it doesn't allow somebody to really understand where, where they're at. And you'll see where people have, you know, actually just lose a case because they don't have the ability to, to communicate that properly. Well, that's where attorneys and lawyers a lot of the time come in. I mean, I get hired to advocate. I get, I get hired to be the mouthpiece for somebody. And that requires me to not only understand their life in and out, I then have to translate that in a way to, you know, to a jury that, that makes sense. That often means distilling a lot of information at once. So a lot of my life is I'm getting the whole chapter of someone's life and I have to condense it down to two sentences for it to be like super, super succinct, very easily absorbable information. And it's very true that if you don't have a way, even you can see, like, it's all there. They know, they know it. It's the same with like a, a, a kid. You can tell a kid sometimes they know it. They know what to say. They know what they want. They just can't say it out loud. That, that ability is, could never be um, undervalued in my mind. The way we're painting it out, um, you know, we're making it, well, we're really talking about this as if it's an art form. And, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of people listening right now they might be thinking okay i i understand the the value of being able to communicate but is it mm -hmm. something that i can physically go away today and work on and get better at is it to what extent can sort of communication and the art of communication be taught is that something that's 
available to everyone or does it just naturally come easier to, to some than others? Well, it can certainly be taught, but it's also easy for some more than others. I mean, I, it's just like you, you say somebody's got to run. Well, just most people, unless they have some kind of disability, they, they can run, yeah. you know, but some are just natural born sprinters that I don't care how much I practice. I'm never going to beat them. Hmm. Um, so we're, we're all born with that ability to communicate, but that doesn't mean I can't run faster hmm. over time. And I train and I learn and I, I find little quick tips to, put myself and give myself an edge. It's the same way. Now, I, I fully believe, and that's what my platform supports is the ability to learn how to communicate, to increase your ability to communicate. A lot of my content, I get very quick chunks. Like I'll give a one, two, three, and that's it. 45 seconds. I'm giving you a tidbit of communication that at the end of that video you can use and I promise you it's going to work. Like I promise it's going to make your situation different than it was without that information. That, yeah, it's 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 good to know that things like that are teachable. You can improve upon them. They're not something that's just solely you're either born with it or you're not. So when I think of, of communication and I think of my experiences, um, and this goes into a little bit of what we were talking about before we started rolling, is for me, I think one of the biggest mistakes in communication or effective communication is an inability or an ignorance to listen. Mm. Um, I mean, if, if I was conducting this podcast with you and I had a piece of paper, you know, taped on the wall behind me over here with a list of questions for Jefferson Fisher, and I was simply just letting you talk, waiting for the next one, and boom, you would, I, I'm certain you would be able to suss that out pretty quickly. And then, I'm, you know, maybe you would give less to me, and ultimately the conversation would not be as valuable, not be as effective, not be as authentic. Mm -hmm. Would you agree that an, an inability to listen is probably the biggest mistake people make when trying to communicate effectively? Yeah. I mean, listening is part of communication. People think that communicating is often what we send out. It's not, it's, it's really what, more about what we accept. In my view, you think about it, like if you're going to write a letter, like you, you get a letter in the mail, but you can't read that letter and write a response at the same time. Well, that's what we do all the time. Like every, every day. We're not really reading what they're saying. We're either anticipating what they're going to say, or we don't care what they're going to say. We're just focused on writing the letter. And that inhibits our ability to fully appreciate and fully understand the other person. The, it, and it truly is a habit of listening. I, I mean, I got to practice it all the time. Mine is a little bit different because it's part of my profession. So when I ask witnesses things, I am listening because if I don't, they could tell me something that's very good for my case and I miss it because I'm writing down a note or I'm focused on what my next question is going to be, just like you were talking about. But the power to listen not only shows that you're acknowledging them, which makes them want to tell you more, it is crucial to exchange ideas. And... 
just building on on that idea then uh, of again of listening and 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 being thoughtful in a conversation mm-hmm. what i found from podcasting having conversations with people interviewing people having people um you know interview me one thing i notice a lot of people are scared of is silence um they you know when when you ask a question or somebody gives an answer a lot of the time people are scared to take two three five seconds to process what the other person said think consciously about what they're going to say before they say it a lot of people i feel are are very uh, self-aware of how long it takes to reply and they want to look like they boom they're on it they have the perfect answer that they you know that they're super smart they're, they're super attentive but in reality to me when I see someone pause, maybe look up, take a few seconds, I almost value what they're going to say to me even more than if they replied in an instant. Oh, very good. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So one of um, the tips that I push when I go speaking at different places is when you let your breath be your first word, and that sounds kind of like hippy-dippy-ish, but it, I mean, it's really a thing. And I, I, it's what I tell my clients is what I practice as if my breath is my first word. The first thing that I say, it makes a difference in how it, it, how it is perceived that I received that information. So if you were to ask me, uh, I see that in your, in your screen, you say, well, Jefferson, do you like the Beatles? All right. Okay. And if I just immediately said, yeah. It, it just, it makes it seem like I didn't really put any thought into it, right? It was just this knee jerk reaction versus if you said, Jefferson, do you like the Beatles? And I went, yeah, I like the Beatles. Yeah. Like it, it all of, all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. He just, he just searched in his mind for something. He really took the time. You see this a lot in panels. Like if there's a panel of four or five people, the person who gets the question takes a breath and takes their time and then responds, you have them waiting. Like they're just, you have a captive audience because they're waiting for what you're going to say. And it makes, makes it much more impactful. Absolutely. I, I absolutely love that. And I wonder then if we are dealing with someone, you know, in that situation where they're talking back at us, we finish our thought and they're, almost into theirs before we could even finish ours you know they're cutting over us they can't wait to talk and you're thinking they're not listening to me they're just queuing up what they're going to say next when i'm talking how do we deal with someone like that and turn that conversation into an effective one or an effective argument how do we combat when we can tell that someone's not listening to us well i mean so several things go through my head it's it's definitely contextual the, the first thing that goes into my head is why are we talking to this person? Yeah. But, but let's say it's a, it's a good conversation and they are certainly not interested in what you have to say. Let's say it's somebody who's pushing their point or wanting to prove a point and they're wanting you to um, contribute in some way. A lot of the time, our, the first thing I'll ask is, is this something you need me to agree with? I'll ask that. I say, is this something you need me to, to agree on? And typically they'll say, no, no, I don't. I mean, I just needed to tell you about 
X, Y, well, okay. Because before, I don't, I'm not telling them this, but beforehand they're pushing, you know, they're pushing, pushing. Well, don't you think, well, why don't you like every time you try to explain yourself, they're cutting you off to try and corner you to eventually just concede to their point. Typically I get rid of that by in the first, second question to say, is this something, Hey, just let me, is this something that you're needing me to, to, for, for us, is this something we're needing to agree on? That's what I'll ask. Is this something we need to agree on? Mm. When I ask that, it totally changes the frame of um, them saying, actually, no, I'm, no, we're just having a discussion. Great. Good. Mm. Me too. If somebody is pushing, um, interrupting you all the time, I, I have a kind of a, what's the word, some, some arrows in my quiver of how I, I handle that. And usually I let them interrupt the first time, but the second time I will tell them calmly, say, I, I can't hear you when you interrupt me. So I'll say, Hey, look, uh, Lewis, I can't, I mean, I, I can't hear you when you interrupt me. And most of the time it's the same way it works with my kids. Like, <laughs> When my daughter or my son have a very whiny voice on something and they come in whiny, I'll say, uh, uh, I can't, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. When you talk like that, voomp, all of a sudden it changes. Yeah. They go right back to how they were. It's just, it's just trying to guide them. And if you want me to hear what you're saying, you're going to have to talk in a certain way. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds far more effective than just actively tell, you know, trying to shout louder than the other person. And. I think yeah. that's when a, a conversation starts to become more of a fight. And ultimately, when it becomes a fight, no one's winning that argument. No, nobody's winning that. Then it just becomes, just, then it just becomes worse. It, but it's, it's uh, to really let people know that so much of their communication and the conflict has to deal with us, like how, how we, I can control how my conversations generally go. If somebody's being ugly to me, rude, I'm in complete control. Whether they have my emotions or not, I'm going to allow them to to affect me. And and a lot of that is your pace. It, I mean, just like we talked about, I, I slow everything down. My voice is going to get lower. I'm going to go slower. I'm more interested in why are they saying this rather than thinking of the next thing to say. That that will um, that's good for all things in life, but it certainly has helped me. I was going to say, as you were talking about that, then um, I was I was I was thinking that you know since we jumped on this call, you have you know your your, your pace has been quite slow. You've you know mm -hmm. you're in a deeper voice, and what I feel as though it's doing to me is it's almost drawing me closer to the screen, and I'm <laughs> I'm sort of leaning in and and you know I, I'm leaning in further to what you've got to say, and it's you know it's making me pay more attention to you when you're talking to someone. Are you, is are things like that something that you're always conscious of or does this, is this just sort of second nature to you now or do you know when to play on certain things, when to use little tactics like that? Well, I'm just trying to, I know it's late over in your time, so I'm just trying <laughs> to, trying to make sure it's easy for you to go to sleep. Bit of ASMR. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got, I'm going to start tapping on the microphone here in a second for you. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's second nature at mm. this point, but it's also something very intentional. Yeah. The way I, and it's just natural with anybody, the way you talk with your friends, the way you talk with your family, are all very different than how you're going to talk to me. Mm. I talk to people in my video different than I'm going to talk to m my family. 
are my best friends. It's it's all just it's circumstantial to wherever you're at. I mean, context is 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 a big part of that. But I can tell you when I'm trying to teach, when I'm trying to tell a story, I will absolutely slow it down because it makes people more interested in every word. I mean, then they become like very much like, okay, what's, what's this going to happen versus if I'm just somebody who's talking really fast all the time, I'm just really so grateful to be here. Thank you so much, Lewis. Like then it's just, you turn, you tune it out. It's it's too much. It's sort of At like least for you, the Southerners like me. It's sort of like when you listen uh, to an audio book on two times speed and you're not taking out anything in at all. Mm-mm, no. And I did that before trying to take my, the bar exam for law school and it was not a great idea. I did fine on the exam, but I, I, yeah, I didn't absorb any of it. <laughs> I had a buddy of mine who recommended that and that was a terrible, that was a terrible recommendation. I wonder then, when we're talking about all these little techniques, um, a lot of people might, you know, they might be listening to you talk about these techniques, like certain things you'll say, slowing your voice down. And they might be thinking, that's a little bit sneaky. I wonder if anyone's ever used that on me. What would you say to the argument? And I have heard people pose this argument that books and content on persuasion, on negotiation, um, I've heard some people, you know, describe them as, manipulative mm-hmm. um and really put a, a negative spin on it rather than a, than a positive spin it's a subject i've always been very interested in you know I, I, years ago when i read um never split the difference by chris voss mm-hmm. it's something i've always been interested in but i have heard people take the opposite sort of stance on it what would you say to those people i would say i hear you and i see where you're coming from <laughs> because there are certainly aspects of I'm going to call it kind of the darker, <laughs> the the darker alleys, back alleys of communication. And that are the people who really push, you know, sales techniques or different ways to keep people on the phone, get people to say, yes, you're taking advantage of people who might be what they call more weak-minded, you know, that somebody who's just very susceptible to going along with whatever you say. That to me can be manipulative. And there's certainly people that manipulate in conversation. I'd like to think that I am part of the light in communication. And that means I, I want to teach people to speak with compassion and empathy and grace for, for the other person. And when I say like, okay, if I'm going to slow my words, make somebody feel more invited, more attentive, I feel like those are all things I want them to feel. Cause I, I want them to know that I'm paying attention. I think of like my kids, if I need to calm my kids down, or if I need to tell them something important, that's exactly the kind of tone that I'm I'm going to to take. Because in some sense, if you're if you're the leader in your life, it's up to you to guide people and shepherd people into making them feel safe and together. And that's that's what I try to push out of these positive experiences and interactions that you can actually predict. Uh, based solely upon how you you communicate. Are there people who would use it to the other's disadvantage? Absolutely. Those people I can't help because they have bad intent and bad motive. Now that I can't fix, but I, I can certainly help you learn to acknowledge somebody to make them feel more valued, 
to value yourself, to feel like you can stand up for yourself, lay more boundaries, all these things that I think are much more on the, the healthier side of the communication. And it, there certainly is a, a sort of dark side to it because it's, I mean, it's not a book strictly on communication, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of Robert Greene um, and the 48 Laws of Power, but that book was was banned widely in, in prisons um, because yeah. it was being used for the uh, uh, in the wrong way. Um, I wonder when I when I mention books like Chris Voss and and and, and Robert Greene, um, were there any sort of voices in this communication space that were uh, sort of fundamental for you in your learning, or is this something that's just come natural to you from your career? Uh, honestly. I I hadn't read any communication books until I started doing. I just I just didn't. Yeah. Um. I'm familiar with certain books. Yeah. Probably the biggest one is to win friends and influence people, Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie but yeah. I hadn't read that since I was like a. It was a required reading when I was a freshman in college. <laughs> really. And yeah, and I couldn't like remember anything uh, of what it was. It's just very natural to me. It's something I grew up in, and something I've always been around, and something very natural to my personality i didn't read chris's book chris voss's book mm. uh and and probably till middle of last year and um it's a it's it's a it's a great book it you know his is more far more along the lines of negotiation and same with kind of 48 laws of power you know having these like banner ideas there's definitely a um not saying that these books are at all, but yeah, there's certainly a dark side of communication. Let's just call it the slither inside. You know, I don't know. There's just like a whole whole different way of of uh, of going about it. But I like all of it. I mean, it, it takes all types. So, if you had this very sort of natural progression into this space, mm -hmm. was there a, a sort of moment or a time where you realized that? you know, your, your work in, in, in the courtroom could be taken and applied to your everyday life. Was there a moment for you where it clicked, where you thought mm, these skills are transferable skills in the wider world? Yeah, it was right when I started making my videos. Hmm. So my first thought was, cause I had seen a bunch of, I didn't know anything, man. I didn't, I did not know anything. I Googled how to make videos in my excuse me my first few videos i put up on tiktok i had like four of them you know how many people saw them zero <laughs> i googled i googled why do i only have zero views on tiktok oh. like <laughs> i i literally googled that and the as i got into it it really hit me of wait wait i already i do a lot of this when i'm training my clients before a deposition or before a trial i'm already coaching them on my system on how i do things why don't i just start making videos on that and that's kind of where it took off so these communication tips and then it's kind of got into my philosophy and and mental health and how to take care of yourself and so it kind of became this bigger ecosystem of of advice that an education i'm trying to to put out but it's certainly been something that I just, I've always really liked, I mean, some people really like woodworking. I don't know. I like talking about communication. And I will credit you on the consistency of the content you put out. I feel like 
every time I open Instagram, every morning there's a you know there's a new video. You're very consistent with your uploads, and you know you've you've covered so many topics in this space now. I'm just curious: is there a topic or a certain you know part of communication that you feel like people gravitate more towards? They want to hear about the most as they you know have you noticed a trend that certain yeah. topics do better than others and could you share what mm. that is yeah i so i um i know which videos have been the most viewed or the most shared and i i i'm not somebody who gets way into the details of yeah. the data that's just not how i roll um but without a doubt it's how to deal with more of the toxic people the people who interrupt the difficult conversations a hot topic is still narcissist yeah. and I try to be very careful with that. I mean, there's some people who just make their whole profile about, you know, narcissist training, you know, like our healing and like, ah. <laughs> I, like we didn't even, I don't feel like we even invented that word until like two years ago. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, where yeah, does yeah. this, how did these people come? I think yeah. we just called them jerks. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know what it, how this come about. So I try to be very careful because I know it is actual, it's an, it's an actual diagnosis. Mm. So I don't want to be flippant about it, but that topic always seems to do well, but I don't like to post about it because I do not want to ever use my platform to stir up negativity. And often when people talk about narcissists or they, I post about it, they comment about some narcissist in their life or their ex-spouse or their whatever and then they start sharing stories of the bad people in their life. And I just don't feel like all, that's all that healthy uh, for people to to do. So I'd still make videos on it, but I'm just real careful about it. I'd say those are some of the hot topic items. It's the difficult conversation parts of it. Well, there's one thing that you talk about um, openly. You don't talk about it a lot, but you've talked about it openly. And when I first heard you talk about it, it really struck a chord with me because I, I don't talk about this a lot, but I I have the exact same shared experience as you in that on the topic of panic attacks. And yeah. when you described sorry man yeah, uh, your there. first panic attack, it was almost word for word what I've been trying to explain to people. And the only person who's really been able to understand it is my current girlfriend because the first time I had one, I was telling her that I was going to die. I told her I was having a heart attack and I genuinely convinced her I was in the middle of a heart attack and I had her drive me to A&E, accident and emergency. Mm. And, you know, I turned up and I told them, I, I remember saying to the woman at the counter, I, I'm, I'm having a heart attack. I think I'm having a heart attack. Um, you know, they did the ECG, they did the, the blood tests and they come back and they, they, they said, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with you. Your, your heart's fine. No, nothing is of concern. Yeah. Please go home. And I remember we were driving home and I remember saying to, to my girlfriend, I said, that's not right. They missed something because yeah. Yeah, cause it's starting to come back. Maybe we should turn around. And there were about three occasions where I ended up in the hospital and was told to go home. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until I sort of, you know, uh, went and saw my GP and dived deeper that I realized they were panic attacks. Like, I, I've never really spoken to someone who's had the exact same experience, mm. but yeah. that initial 
panic attack, when you don't even know what a panic attack is, I was the the scariest moment of my life, man. Oh, absolutely. Like 100%, I thought I was going to die. Yeah. It was, I was by myself late at night working at the kitchen island. It was like probably 1230, 1245 AM. And when I tell you, I've never had this feeling. This, this is what really happened. So I have my phone off to the side. I'm trying to build my own crappy website because I had read that, you know, I have, this is in February. My following is just like tripling. I'm getting a hundred thousand people a day, a hundred thousand followers a day on my Instagram, which, which was just scary to me at the time. I thought something was wrong with my account. Honestly, I thought something was wrong, but I, um, I'm making this website so that I can collect emails because I heard that's what I need to do. Well, I needed a way to do that. So I'm like trying to learn convert kit, any kind of like, you know, um, email monkey, whatever that is, like any, any of that kind of stuff, make my own website. I'm learning it all. Have my phone off to the side. I pick it up notification that the rock followed me and I literally, I'm not getting, I look my phone and I just put it down and like, I just like stare off and I just keep like working on my website. And then that's when it happened right, right there. My account hit a million. And for somebody, you can be like, oh, that's not that many. There's lots of people with millions, not on Instagram. And also for somebody who just does videos in his car, let's, let's put it that way. But that's, that's what happened, man. Right. And I'll never forget that, that whole sensation. Everything in my body was saying something is not right. And that's exactly what I told my wife. I woke her up and she's like, what's wrong? I was like, something's not right. Like something is off. I think I'm having a heart attack. And I realized I was just freaking out like even more because I was so sure I was going to die. So sure of it. It's a terrible feeling, right? It's a horrible oh, feeling. The worst, man. I remember I was in, I was in my bathroom and I was looking in, I was looking in the mirror and I remember saying to myself, I was like, this is it. Like, yeah, this is it. You're going, man. Yeah. Um, I expected to, to go black at any time. Yeah. That's like, honestly, I expected it to just like eventually just fade to black at some point. And the th crazy thing was my thoughts were going so wild. I thought I was going to like concentrate on my kids more, but I wasn't mm. like, my thoughts were just going like all over the place. Yeah. And I was like, no, go away. I'm trying to like have this goodbye moment in my mind of like thinking of my kids before I die. And it just didn't happen. And so it was eventually like just one eye of like, wait, I'm still here, but what's going on? Yeah. Hospital also told me you were just fine. You just had a major, a very severe panic attack. And I was like, that can't be right because I don't have those. <laughs> I was like, I'm not, I don't have stress. Like I don't, I don't have anxiety. Don't know what yeah. you're talking about. And yeah. it's hard to believe, you know, I was doubt, I, my, I drew the conclusion that the, uh, the person in the ER room was just wrong or did their job wrong. And I mm -hmm. found it really hard to, to believe because it's such a real feeling and they're telling you that it's, you know, something to do with it, with the mind and it just doesn't connect. Right. Um, yeah. I remember I was calling up my GP and I called him up so often about it that, uh, my doctor said to me, what would it take for me, uh, for you to believe me? And I said, well, I want another round of blood tests. I want, mm. you know, another ECG on a full ECG. Bear in mind that the this is all free in the UK, so they're a little bit right, you right. Know, more reluctant to give it. It to ain't you, so. that way in here, yeah, <laughs> the US. 
So I'm there on the phone begging my doctor to give me another round of blood tests. Um, and I just remember, you know, not believing them. Did you have a hard time be- believing what they were saying? Or did you quite quickly understand what was going on? Um, I didn't understand until the doctor told me. Hmm. And when I say I mean, that was really my reaction, I kind of laughed and was like, I'm sorry, man, but that's not right. I don't have anxiety. Like I don't, I, I, I'm cool, cool as a cucumber. Like I don't, yeah. I don't get panic attacks. That's for the people that like the weirdos that don't have their life together. You know, those that's, that's how ignorant I was. And he's like, no, you, you're totally fine. Everything checked out and you're good. And you just need to like take up a lot of breathing. He's like, do you know about panic attacks? Like, no, he's like, you should probably study up on those, you know, do yourself a favor. And that's, that's what I did. I took like two days of just learning about them. And I had a panic attack every day for the next two weeks, but each one got shorter and shorter now I was dealing with them, but yeah, it was, it's, it, I would, that's the biggest, one of the biggest changes that's happened to me this, this year is dealing with that. And so since it was, you know, I have a, a, a following on social media, decided to use that as a platform to bring awareness to it, to let people know that even somebody who seems as calm and, you know, positive as me, I, I definitely still have my own sense of anxiety that is out. I don't really like that word, but I I will say that I definitely have these senses where my body is telling me something is wrong. Even then. Lastly, on this topic, um, one other thing you said really resonated with me because I, I was going through this for a long, long time. And it was about probably like a two year battle with this sense of any time I heard, saw, was reminded of the topic of death, mm-hmm. it would really trigger something in me where I would go to a really, really bad place. And it got to the point where I, you know, I couldn't watch, uh, basically I couldn't watch anything on TV that wasn't a lighthearted comedy. I avoided yeah. the news. I avoided horror movies. I avoided thrillers. I avoided anything that could possibly remind me of death. I mean, I love reading uh, Stoic philosophy for years. They talk a lot about death. I completely mm-hmm. stopped reading Seneca, Marcus Reedus, all this, yeah, because yeah. it's something that I really had a, had a, you know, a, a tough time with. I wonder if you could sort of speak on your experiences because I, I, I've never spoken to someone who's had that sort of, yeah. you know, same sort of thing. It was, it was there. definitely, I mean, that was really the focus of, the, I, looking back on it, you know, I I now go to therapy every week, and it's just good. It's healthy. I should have done it beforehand. Is um, one was the sense of isolation that I felt very alone. Felt like yes, I have all these people looking at me, but they're in my phone and they're not real, so I can't see them. And so, what's this feeling? Why do I feel so overwhelmed? Why do I feel all of a sudden very heavy? And then the panic attack. I thought I was dying. So then. Everything after that, I was super sensitive to any thoughts of death, like just very crazy thoughts that I just, in what I learned was 
the way our body responds to panic attacks is very similar to how our body responds to drowning. So it's the same function of what your body is telling you. Your body is telling you you're drowning, that you're not breathing, you're not getting air, that you're dying. That's what your body's saying. And what that taught me was I'm, I'm often holding my breath when I'm not even thinking about it. And over time, when you're not when you're not getting as much oxygen and you have, you know, you're not giving it the, the pushing out the CO2 that you need to, it induces that effect. And that's made a big difference for me. And the idea of death was just for whatever reason, because I thought I was dying, it just sent me into a panic attack. I could think of anything related to death and I would, I'd get there. It was just weird. Like I would, I could, Let's just say I could choke on some food, just a food went down their own tube, boom. Like it would just, all of a sudden my body was just that sensitive. It was telling me you're choking, you're drowning. It was a weird, it was a weird time. I've done much better with it, but yeah, it's, death is, is actually a pretty common trigger for, for panic attacks. I can see, certainly see why I, I wish I didn't have these thoughts and I wish I didn't have these panic attacks, but they're very real and all you can do is just manage them man uh thank you so much for speaking on that. i know it's not yeah. uh it's not the the usual content you put out there but no um, you're good well it's real man it's real yeah well man thank you so much for for talking to us today i really appreciate yeah. it and what i loved about this conversation is i met we mentioned this at the top it was you know it was a real conversation what i didn't want to do was sort of ask you you know how do you deal with this how do you mm -hmm. combat this yeah. person because ultimately anyone who listens to this podcast can go to your instagram page right now and they'll right. find every one of those questions <laughs> yeah. 10 times yeah. over yeah more than they want to see they'll see <laughs> way too much of it yes i i agree no it's been great man that's that's what makes uh, things like this so fun it's just when they're a conversation and like i told you i've never been across the never been across the pond so i'm gonna have to go over one day well man you're welcome anytime and uh, i'd certainly be happy to buy you a beer or two if you did come over that sounds do y'all call those a pint i don't know is that a, a pint thing or, yeah we'll get you or a did pint. i just see that on shrek okay cool, very cool. <laughs> awesome <laughs> awesome um, it was great to great great to be here man before you run off please let these guys uh, listening and watching where they can find you if they haven't already seen you pop up on their algorithms yeah yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. So on uh, Instagram is my typical, uh, my most popular platform, and it's just Jefferson underscore Fisher. If you're on TikTok or Facebook, it's just, you just search Jefferson Fisher and it'll, it'll be there. It'll be all right. Amazing. Cool. Well, I'll make sure that's linked below. Once again, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, one day I heard there might be a book coming out. When that does come out, I'd love to have you back on and uh, let these Sounds guys good, know man. all about that. That sounds great. I look forward to it.